Well, uh, we are so glad that you're here today, and we're in our second week of our series, Living in the Parenthood, because sometimes parenting can feel like you're living in the hood, and uh, it can be difficult and can be a struggle. And so uh, what we want to do today specifically is talk about uh, three unchanging principles that I think are essential not only for parenting, but for any relationship. So if you're a parent or a grandparent, today you're going to get a lot out of the teaching because you're going to learn about these three and how you can grow in these three areas. And if you're not a parent or you're not sure if you'll ever have kids, These things are applicable to every single healthy relationship. These three things should be principles that are unchanging. Now, we know in parenting, uh, there are some things that change, though. Some things don't say the same. For example, when my oldest daughter, Jordan, was a tiny infant, if she dropped her pacifier, we immediately grabbed it ran to the dishwasher, put it in the hot, boiling, hot, sterilizing cycle, got it all sterilized, and then we would give it back to her. Now, when my second daughter, Shiloh, was born, and her pacifier would fall on the ground, we had the five-second rule. Basically, this was the rule. If it fell in less than five seconds, we just put it right back in her mouth. If it was over five seconds, we took it, rubbed it on our pants, and then stuck it in her mouth. Now, I had a friend of mine who was the youngest of five brothers. And he said that when he would drop his particular pacifier, his parents said this is what they did. They picked it up, let the dog lick it, and stuck it back in there. Well, things in parenting, when it comes to philosophy, folks, it changes. But today, I want to talk to you about three unchanging principles that if you can do these and do them well, you'll have healthy relationship with your kids. And if you don't have kids, you'll have healthy relationships. uh, uh, You'll have healthy uh, relationships as well. So the way we're going to do this is we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 10. And Jesus engages some children, and this is what is told. In verse 13, we read, People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him what? What is it? Touch them. But the disciples rebuked him. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. He said, I tell you the truth, if anyone will receive the kingdom of God like a little child, he will never enter it. Verse 16. And he took the children in his arms, he put his hands on them, and he blessed them. Now, in this little short story about Jesus engaging some children, what we find are three principles that are unchanging when it comes to parenting. The first one is this, and you can put this on your app if you want to, or uh, in the fill-in in your program, but this is the first one. The first unchanging principle to great relationships, and particularly parenting, is loving touch. Loving touch. 
Again, verse 13 says this. People were bringing little children to Jesus, again, to have him what? To touch them. Now the question becomes, why were people bringing little children to have him touch them? And the reason is, is because I think there is power in touch. There is power in a loving, appropriate touch. Power comes. Now, the Greek word for the word touch is this word. It'll come up on the side screen. Haptomai. You want to say a Greek word today? Let's all say it together. It's haptomai. One, two, three. Haptomai. Okay? So you can tell people you're bilingual now. You know, you're like, you, you know English and now you know Greek. Okay? Haptomai. And what this word means is to attach oneself, to embrace, to touch. So when Jesus invites these little children to come to him, we don't have the image of like, I'm going to heal these children. But we have this image of Jesus kind of like chilling out, sitting on a rock. And there's these little kids that are around. And he's like, hey guys, come here, come here. And you get this sense that he's like holding them tightly and cuddling them and, you know, bouncing them on their knee, doing anything to show this loving kind of touch. He was attaching himself to the children. The children were embracing, attached to him. Now, the question becomes, why is touch so important? I read a story this week about King Frederick II, who was the Roman emperor in the 13th century. Now, he was a very bizarre character, kind of an evil guy. You can read up on him if you want. But he had this kind of weird uh, scientific mind of having experiments. And so he decided that what he wanted to find out was, if a child was never talked to, what language would the child speak? And so he went ahead and he got 50 babies... And he said, no one is to talk to them. No one is to touch them. No one is to go, goo, 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 ga, ga, ga. Or peekaboo, peekaboo. Just nothing. You're not supposed to do anything talking to them at all. You are just to feed them, change them, and leave them in their cribs. Well... What happened was the experiment failed. All 50 babies died within the year. Now, why did they die? Was it because of physical nourishment? No. They were fed all the time. But why did they die? Because they had no emotional or relational nourishment. They didn't have touch. And that's why it's so important. Now, how many of you, when it comes to your natural kind of demeanor, when it comes to touch, how many of you are huggers? You like to hug people. You're a big hugging person. Watch out for these people, folks. They might grab you right now, you know, but you're a hugging kind of person. You know, that's kind of it. Now, 
On the flip side, how many of you would say, you know what, actually, I'm a little bit more reserved. I'm not a real huggy, touchy, feely kind of person. How many would say, that's me, okay? Now, see, not as many hands, and some of you didn't raise your hands. And you know what that tells me? You're in the second category, and this is what you're thinking right now. I'm not going to raise my hand for this dumb, stupid thing, you know? (laughs) Not, okay? Happened in the first, too. Well, I was raised in a very huggy, touchy, filly kind of family. We always hugged each other. We always kissed each other. But when my uh, wife Jennifer and I first started dating and I met her family the first few times, I found out very quickly that her family was not that way. And they were very reserved when it came to uh, touch. For example, this is how we learned this. One of the first times that Jennifer met my parents, my dad goes up to her and she goes, hi, I'm Jennifer. And she's kind of like giving him a handshake and he gives her a bear hug, grabs hold onto her. And I don't mean like one of those hugs, like real, real quick. I mean like in there. And I didn't know this. All of a sudden he kissed her on the cheek. So later that night, you know, we're together and she's like, you don't want to believe what my, what your dad did to me. I'm like, oh gosh, it's hard telling, you know? And uh, she said, he hugged me and he held on. And I said, really? And I was like, he didn't kiss you, did he? She goes, yeah, on my face. I said, well, if we stay long enough, he's going to kiss you on the lips. <laughs> and he does now, you know? Like every once in a while, I'm like, hey, man, that's my woman. You know, like, step back, old man, step back. Now, one of the first times I ever met Jennifer's parents... Her dad was at the college we were at, and I was looking forward to meeting him. And I'm, like, going in for the hug, you know, like the bro hug, you know, like, hey, what's up, you know, the kind of that thing. And all of a sudden, I got this hand, like, jabbed right in my stomach. Now, I didn't know if he was trying to take me out because I was dating his daughter or uh, he just wanted a handshake. But, I mean, it was just a handshake. And for the longest time, handshake, you know, and we'd been married for years. <laughs> this is one of my favorite stories. He, he would never say, I love you back. You know, you have some people like that in your family, like you say, hey, I love you. And they just never say it back. So I would say it all the time. He would never say it. So I started emailing him every once in a while. And I would just go, I love you. And he would never respond. You know what I mean? Like he had no idea how to do it. Now, now we do it. You know, we got bro hugs and everything. And, and it's cool. But the thing is, folks, sometimes you just come from different family systems. And they look at touch differently. Not that one's better or one's worse. It's just that it's different. For much of our early marriage, for instance, uh, Jennifer was not a very touchy-feely kind of person early in our marriage. And then all of a sudden we had kids, and guess what my wife has turned into? My dad. Those kids, like, they don't even get out of the car, you know, and she's, like, hugging them and kissing them. And we have a preteen. I'll talk about her in a little bit. But she's like, ugh. And she's like, come on, girl. You know, and she's, like, all up in them uh, giving them kisses. And some of you guys are sitting here right now, and you're like, oh, man, out of all the Sundays I came today, it's on all this, like, huggy, touchy, ugh. And I know some of you have rules, and you have rules like this. The only time I touch another guy is if I hit him in the chest. Okay? Or some of you are like, it's not when I hit them in the chest, but it's always a handshake. And it's firm, and it's hard, and I'm looking straight in his eye the whole time. And if his hands start to move, I'm like, hey, I'm out. You know? And uh, so for some of you, I get that. And for some of you men, you just hate this acronym, PDA. You know what that stands for, right? 
public display of affection. And so when it comes to your wife or your girlfriend, you don't want to hold hands. You don't want to kiss in public. You don't want to cuddle up on the park bench. Now, that's fine, guys, for you. But this is what I want to say. If you're a dad, if you're a dad, don't pass that on to your kids. Because what will happen is you will pass on exactly what you had received. And I've talked to guys before who they're not real touchy-feely. They're, you know, not that way. And I'll be like, man, you got to do this because your kids need touch. And I'll talk about some stats here in a second of why they do. And they're like, yeah, but I'm just not affectionate, Chris. That's just not me. That's not the way I was raised. And this is what I tell them all the time. Get over it. Get over it. You learn to do it. Learn to do it. Why? Because it's going to impact your kids. And it's going to impact them in a great way. If you have to ask God to help you with that area, whatever it is, it's so important. Let's look at another passage of Scripture about the power of touch. In Matthew 6, verse 56, we read this. And whenever he, Jesus, went into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his clothes. And all who, what's it say? Touch who? Touched him were what? What were they? They were healed. Now, I did a little word uh, study this week in the NIV. And just in the stories of Jesus, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the NIV is the New International Version. There's different versions of the Bible. Uh, And this is one of them that in that one where it talks about all the stories of Jesus, what we find is that the word touched in all the stories of Jesus related to him is used 20 times, 20 times is the word touch. And every single time that word touched is connected to Jesus. What do you think the word that's connected to it is? healed because there is power in a loving appropriate touch i did some research this week on uh, parents and kids and what they need here's something that's interesting Uh, for girls if you have any preteen girls i have one living in my house right now preteen girls that actually their need for appropriate loving touch actually increases while they're a preteen girl. But dads, when it comes to our comfort level of being comfortable with touching them, actually goes down. We become more uncomfortable. Why is that? Because all of a sudden their bodies are changing, they're looking different, they go out and they buy their first bra, they start talking about stuff, and as dads, this is what happens. We freak out and we're like, oh, put her back in the womb. (laughs) And so as their need for more touch increases, our level of comfort actually decreases. Not because we don't love them but because we feel very uncomfortable. 
Dads, it's during this time, I'm just telling you, that your need for loving, appropriate touch to your girls, it needs to increase. Now, this is what's weird about preteens. Sometimes, Jordan is a little girl who wants to wrestle and tickle and cuddle on the couch. And then other times, like I experienced the second day of school, I'm waking her up and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be great, just like last year. And I'm going to go in there, I'm going to rub her back until she wakes up, and then I'll kind of slip in, and we'll kind of cuddle together. And all of a sudden, I'm rubbing her back, and I'm just getting ready to pull the blanket up, and she's like, personal space. (laughs) Hey, I'm a dad. I got feelings. Yeah? And she just like blew it up, you know? But she needed personal space. But this is what I've realized, folks. The most important thing you can do, if you're a dad, to deter sexual sin from your young girls is for them to be touched appropriately and lovingly by a godly man. Because if they learn appropriate, godly touch... They'll learn to say no to inappropriate and ungodly touch. So when that pimple-faced teenage boy with braces that you'd like to take a shotgun to walks into your house and he tries to touch in some way that is not appropriate, they're going to be like, that's not godly loving touch. I'm out. Now, this is one of the things I've discovered in my research as well, is that girls at this age are five times more likely to have loving, appropriate touch than boys are. Now, why is that? Well, when a little boy is two or three years old, they can get on their mom or dad's knee and they'll cuddle and hug and there'll be all kinds of love. But once that boy turns eight, nine, or ten, all of a sudden, every time mom goes in for a hug, they're kind of like, woof. Not cool, mom. Not cool. And so as a parent, we got to get creative to understand how we can still engage with appropriate touch. Now, if you're a 10-year-old boy, rather than a lot of hugs and kisses because they don't want that, what do they think is cool? What's up? High five. Why do they have secret handshakes all the time? Why do you just coach the why every single time, man? They'd have a different handshake. They wanted to be touched. Now, let's be honest, too. Sometimes 10-year-olds just want to come up and hit you in the stomach. Now, I'm not saying when they do that, go, oh, that's such a loving touch. You can touch them. No, I'm joking. You can touch them in a different way. But they want touch. They just want to do it differently. So... Uh, Jordan, even though she's 10 and she's a girl, we've realized that she doesn't want to be touched all the time as well, and especially when it comes to her hanging out with her friends. She doesn't want Dad coming up there and giving her a big old hug. I learned that this summer. I went up, gave her a big hug, and she's like, ugh. I'm like, what are you doing? I brought you in this world. I'll take you out. And so we've come up with a system. This is what we do. When she's with her friends, I put my fist out like that. And if she just wants to fist bump, that's fine. But sometimes if she's at a soccer game or swim meet or she's at a spelling bee or something where she's anxious, she has the ability to come in 
for a hug. And she does that often. Now, at home, Jordan's totally different. She still sometimes, and my youngest daughter, Shiloh, the same way, they like to be chased around. They like tickle fights. They like rubbing, uh, me rubbing their uh, feet or their back. They like cuddling on the couch. They like all of those kind of things. In fact, they'll argue sometimes, like, you're cuddling her too much. Come over and cuddle me. And when we're cuddling, they'll begin to start asking questions like this. Dad, why is your nose bigger than every other guy I've seen? Or, Dad, why do you have that mole, like, on the side of your face? Am I going to get a mole like that as well? Or sometimes they'll be like, Dad, why is your hair so white and gray and Mommy's isn't? (laughs) And you know what I always say when that is? I say, because your mom's 15 years younger than me. (laughs) Or she colors her. But anyways, you know, I don't want to say anything. Now, let's get real. You know, all you women, we, we know, we know. Okay. Now, obviously, appropriate touch, it changes over the years, though, right? Like, you know, Jordan's not going to want a whopper kiss, you know, in the next six months. It's not just it. But what is that touch? Because this is the truth. Every parent and grandparent who's here, you can always, always increase the self-image of your kids... If you have loving, appropriate touch for them. Here's the second thing that is unchanging when it comes to parenting or any relationship. Loving touch. Here's the second thing. Abundant time. Abundant time. Now, do you know how kids spell the word love? T-I-M-E. That's how they spell it. So if they spell it like that on a spelling test and they get it wrong, okay, it's not, it's not the case. It's true. So back to our story about Jesus and the children. It says this, people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. In other words, the disciples were like, hey, Jesus doesn't have time for these little snotty-nosed kids. Get them out of here. I mean, he's got important things like healing the blind, making the lame walk, having the deaf to hear, being able to raise people from the dead. Get all the kids out of here. But Jesus was not happy about this response. In verse 14, it says this. When Jesus saw this, he was, what's the word? Indignant. Now, The Greek word that this is translated from is much stronger than the word indignant. It means furious or fuming or ticked. It's like Jesus is peeved. He's so upset. It's not just this soft indignant. I mean, Jesus is not happy at all that he's been teaching the disciples. And all of a sudden, they're like trying to become bodyguards for him. He's like, get out of the way. Let the little kids come to me. Let them come. Let him come. Let him come. Let the little children come to me. You guys get out of the way. Because Jesus understood the importance of what it was to have abundant time with kids. Okay. How many NASCAR fans do we have in here today? How many of you like NASCAR? You watch NASCAR? Okay. Jesus can heal you from that as well. Okay. <laughs> just joking. Just joking. Uh, you know, I'm still trying to learn. They tell me it's a sport, but I'm, I'm trying to learn. And so I've been doing some research uh, on NASCAR. 
And I've decided that I could become a NASCAR driver and I could practice. So I've been practicing. You want to see my practice? Drive straight, turn left. Drive straight, turn left. Now, I realize that it's much more involved than that. And for some people, they look at that and that's all they think. They're like, ah, that's not a sport. That's not. But I've realized how much technology there is into it, how much skill, expertise, um, how much uh, need there is to be able to finish first. I mean, like it's a, it's a huge multi-million dollar kind of thing. But for me, what's always kind of most impressive is not necessarily the drivers, but it's the pit stop crew. Seven people are in this tiny place, and then they add one uh, halfway through, and these people are in these places, and these cars are coming by. Zoom, zoom, zoom. And a good pit stop is in 12 to 15 seconds. And in that 12 to 15 seconds, this is what they do. They change the tires, put in the gas, put in oil, check this car, clean off the ch- uh, windshield, eat a Happy Meal. Um, and all of this happens like in 15 seconds. And then they push the car and zoom, it goes off again. Now, many parents are doing this. I call it pit stop parenting. They're doing pit stop parenting. Kids come in. Hey, mom and dad, how was your day? Great, good. Do you have your homework done? Yes, great, good. Did you put on some clean underwear? Yes, great, good. Okay, go to your room. Never done. Uh, don't get an F in that class tomorrow. Don't you dare have sex before your marriage. I love you. Zoom. They go off to the next thing. Okay, we're getting in the minivan. Get in the minivan. Get in the minivan. I don't want to hear you. Get in there. Now, all of a sudden, but mom, we're hungry. Dad, we're hungry. You see those french fries underneath the seat? Get one. And (laughs) we don't have time to feed you today. And then all of a sudden you're driving by and they're like, well, we miss daddy. We'd like to see him. He's going to wave from his office window. Just wave as you go by. Hey, dad. Zoom. Now, I'm exaggerating a little bit because all of us are like, no, no, no. I spend more than 12 to 15 seconds of meaningful time with my kids. So I started thinking to myself, what does research say on meaningful, helpful time? How often do parents spend with their kids? So dads, how much meaningful conversation do you have with your kids in one day? So look to the person beside you, wake them up if you have to, and figure out what that, what that is. What is it? Dads, how much time in a day? This was it, the research across the board, three minutes. Meaningful time with your kids, three minutes. Now, moms are doing much better than we are. They actually doubled to six minutes, okay? Six minutes of meaningful time. Folks, let's be real. If you're in a home where mom and dad are there and you both are working all the time or boyfriend and girlfriend and you're working all the time, by the time it comes to the end of the day, you're spent and the amount of meaningful time that you can have with your kids is difficult. Single parents, you guys are my heroes. I have no idea how you do it. You work a job, you get your kids up, they're ready to go. Sometimes you work two jobs, you're doing anything and everything that you can. You're making sure their clothes are on straight, everything's together. And you get no emotional support and you're doing it all on your own. 
But let me say this, regardless of your situation, if you're not careful, what will happen is you will come up with excuses of why you can't spend time with your kids. For example, I come up, I'm like, well, they're, they're girls, and they're like into all the girls' stuff, and I'm a guy, and I just can't do that. And Plus, you know, on Sunday mornings, I usually have about 400 other kids that I have to deal with, too. Just joking. And let me just say, folks, who, whoever you are, there is an excuse that you can make. You say, well, I really don't have time. I'm working two jobs. I'm going to school. I'm trying to do all these things to better my kids. And I want them to have a better life than I did. And so I'm going for this extra degree. And I'm working overtime. And, you know, we're in debt with credit cards, so i got to work more. And then after Christmas, so then we'll be able to do it. I think after Christmas, we'll finally be able to spend some time. And let me just tell you, folks, whatever amount of time you choose to spend with your kids today is what you're going to spend today. And if you don't make a conscious choice, we all get in routines, we all get in habits, where all of a sudden it becomes less and less and less of meaningful conversations with our kids. Billy Graham, who's probably the uh, greatest Christian leader that uh, our century has kind of known, was asked one time by a reporter, he said, Hey, Billy, if you could do anything differently... From your past, what would you do? And the reporter said he was sitting there and he's like, man, I I can't wait to hear this. Well, he didn't say, well, I would have ten more crusades so that there would be a million people that would come to Christ. He didn't say that. He didn't say, well, I think what I'd do is open up another leadership school for pastors and other Christian leaders so that we could develop more Christ followers who could change the world. He didn't say that. He goes, well, I wish I would have written another best-selling book so that other people could have read it and millions and millions of people across the world would have come to Christ. He didn't say that. And so the reporter said when he asked him, he said, I was amazed by this, that when I asked him, what would you do differently if you had to do it over again? He said, I would spend more time with my kids. Abundant time. So how are you doing with that, parents? When it comes to time, how are you doing? My wife is a physician, and she made a really gutsy call three years ago. She was in a role in which they were grooming her to be the director of the residency that she was at, and she made the deliberate decision that because she realized the girls were actually getting older, and I'm sure those of you who are in the parenting game, you realize the older your kids get, actually the more time they need with you, not the less time. And so as they were getting older, she's like, i got to do something different. And so she left this job, colleagues that she loved, patients that she loved, um, people that she cared for, and she took a job that was, Less money, so there's not as much money on the table anymore either. Everything was descending, but she wanted more abundant time with her kids. It was so admirable, and I was talking to her, and I said, Why did you do that, Jen? And she said, Well, 
I finally realized that there are some things that are just temporary. And there are some things that are eternal. And whatever I would do and the acclaim that I would get is just temporary. But the relationship that I have with my girls will be eternal. And she said, I'm not a perfect parent. And I make tons of mistakes, but I'm learning about the importance of, and I I thought this was so great. I married way up. She said this. She said, I'm learning how to be present rather than perfect. I want to be present rather than perfect. You know, folks, the reality is whether you're a parent or you're not a parent, that's good stuff right there. How can we be present in front of the whoever it is that's with us and we give abundant time to them rather than being perfect? Folks, each of us choose our time. You have time for what you want to have time for. I mean, when it comes right down to it, folks, How much life do you have? How much time do you have? I mean, how long does life last? Well, Scripture says this. Jesus' brother, James, says these words. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So I'm just telling you today, don't ignore, folks. Don't ignore abundant time with your children, or any significant relationship that you have. So, loving touch, abundant time. A third kind of unchanging principle is this, encouraging talk. Encouraging talk. Look at what Jesus said in verse 16. He said, and he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and what? What's it say? Blessed him. I love that. Jesus takes them, and he like starts encouraging them. He's blessing them. He's lifting them up. You know, I've often wondered, I don't know if you have when I've read this scripture, what did Jesus say to them? You know, like here's these little kids, they're all around him, and, and what did Jesus really say to them? Well, I have a feeling he didn't say this. Hey, stop that. Hey, quit being such a baby. I wish you were more like your sister. Get over it. Quit crying. I was talking with a couple of moms one time after church on Sunday, and we were talking about parenting, and I was talking about encouraging words, and I said, hey, you know, what what was your family system like what were the encouraging words and the one said my parents never gave me an encouraging word to me they just put me down and I was like whoa and then all of a sudden like nonchalant not even skipping a beat the other woman was like yeah that's where my parents were too and they just went on parents say the words grandparents Say the words. Say them a hundred times 
and then say them 500 times, then say them 1,000 times, and then when you're done and you don't think you can say it anymore, say it 10,000 times. Jason, I love you. Julie, you are my precious daughter. Mike, you're a great kid. Heather, you mean more to me than anything else. Matt, if I could custom design a kid, I would want a son just like you. I'd pick you as my son. I'd pick you out of the billions of other sons. I'd pick you. Folks, words are powerful, and kids are longing to hear from us encouraging words. Encouraging talk. Almost every single Sunday night, about six or seven o'clock, I get a phone call or I get a text from my mom or dad, and typically this is what's on the other side. Chris, what a great teaching today. Wow, God really used you today, son. We're so proud of you. We're so proud. I mean, even when I bomb and I feel like I want to be underneath a rock and I say something stupid, not that I ever say anything stupid, but, you know, even when I say something stupid, I'll get a call at six or seven. And if it's my mom, my mom will always be like, great job, way to go. I'm like, yeah, mom, but I really bombed. I don't think I should have said that or what. And my dad was a pastor for 35 years, and so she'll always say this. She'll say, oh, your, your dad bombed much worse than you. <laughs> only a mother, right? Like, only a mother. This is the truth, folks. I'm 46. And you know what? I still need encouraging words from my parents. And I love to receive them. And so when I had little girls, I decided that regardless of how the evening went, I would be an encourager of them. And so every single night for the last 10 years, almost every single night for the last 10 years, I get them, and just as I'm getting ready to walk out of their room, I'll go, Jordan Shiloh. I'll go, you know what? They'll be like, what? Because now they've heard it for 10 years. You know, they know what's coming. And I'll say, I love you. They'll go like, yeah, Dad, we love you too. And they'll say, you know what else? And I'm like, what, Dad? And I'll go, you have a beautiful body. Because I want my girls to know that they have a beautiful body that should never be touched in any any, uh, inappropriate way, ever. And that that body should ultimately be, be saved for the husband that God has for them. And then finally I'll say, hey, you know what? I'll say, what? And I'll say, if I had to line up all the little girls in the world, I'd choose you, number one, to be my daughter. And most of the time, before I can even get the word daughter out, they're already like, daughter! Because they want to hear those words. Parents, you can do this. may not be those things. You have your own thing, but you can do this. Parents, you only get one chance with your kids. And I guess what I want to ask you today is to challenge yourself. What do you need to work on? Is it 
loving touch? Are you just not a touchy person and it's a struggle for you to do that? And are you loving your kids with appropriate touch and you don't know? Well, get better at it. You can do it. You really can. And maybe for some of you, it's adequate time. It's like you're busy all the time. There's time going on and you're like, oh, I don't know. And, and get better at it. You can do it. Maybe for some of you, it's encouraging talk. You never received it. And so now you kind of struggle to be able to do that. And you always have a tendency to kind of find what they did wrong and not what they did well. And so maybe for you, it's talk. Well, we believe so strongly that you're already good parents, but we want you to become great parents. And so on August 29th, we're providing a parenting class where at 6 o'clock at the church office, we're inviting parents to come to say, you know what, I want to get better. I'm good, but I want to get better. And you can come and be a part of that. And so put it on your schedule. Put it on right now. Now, for those of you that don't have children, first of all, thank you for lasting through this teaching. But I was actually talking with Derek last week. And Derek's not married. He doesn't have kids. And he's like, you know what, I really appreciated that. You included everyone because the reality is that these are things for every great relationship. And so if if you're not a parent, I want you to think about your mom or your dad, a friend, a brother, a sister, a family member, a co-worker. But where can you improve? Where could you say, you know what, I'm going to take it up a notch on loving touch. Or I'm going to take it up a notch on abundant time. Or I'm going to take it up a notch on encouraging words. I'm going to start it this week. And this is how I'd like to close. I was looking through scripture this week, and there's only one time that the Heavenly Father speaks audibly to His Son. That's recorded in scripture. I'm sure there were more times that he spoke audibly to him, but there's only one time that's recorded in Scripture where the Father, the Heavenly Father, God Almighty, speaks to his Son, Jesus Christ. And in Matthew 3:17, this is what he says. A voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I, what's the word? Love. With whom I love, and with him I am well, what? Please. And think about this. The only recorded place where the Father speaks to the Son. And you know what he says? He says, this is my Son, and I love him. And I'm so proud of him. And I'm pleased with him. And now the Heavenly Father looks down upon seven billion people. And in particular, 200 people in this gym today. And he looks down at you. And you know what he says? I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. I'm pleased with you. I'm pleased with you. And there's nothing you can do that will make me love you more There's nothing you can do to make you love me less. I am just head over hills in love 
with my kids. And it started with my son, and now it's every single son and daughter. He loves you as is. Let's stand. He is jealous for me. Loves like a hurricane. I am a tree. Many beneath. Weed of his wind and mercy. All of a sudden, I am unaware of these afflictions, eclipsed by glory. And I realize just how beautiful you are right now. Free your affections are for me. And oh, how he loves us so. Oh, how he loves us. How he loves us so. come up. They'll be on both sides of the screen. If you'd like prayer for anything, after I'm done praying, they'd love to pray with you. And uh, let's pray. God, thank you so much for the incredible amount of love that you have for every single person in this gym today. That your love that is so great, God, pours down upon your people today and reminds them I love you not because of what you've done or what you haven't done but I love you because you're my son you're my daughter I'm proud of you I'm proud of you that you're here today to just hear from me that I love you And as we uh, continue to pray, there, there may be some of you who are here today that you're like, man, there's no way God could love me. There's no way that I'm worthy of his love. I mean, there's stuff in my past. I got regrets. And I just want to tell you, whoever that is, that, that you're wrong. You're dead wrong because God's love is not based upon your past based upon what Jesus Christ did on the cross so that all of your sins were forgiven and you were loved and cared for as his precious daughter, his precious son. 
And the way that you can spend eternity with him is by saying, I receive your son into my life. I want Jesus in my life. I want him to be Lord of my life. Only he can forgive. And only he can give me a home in heaven. So if you're there today and you're like, I need his forgiveness. I need his love. I need to know that that I'm a prized son as well. I want to invite you to share this prayer with me. In fact, I want everyone to share this prayer regardless of where you're at because at the jar, we never pray alone. We pray together. And so this is your prayer, but repeat after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your gift of love. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could follow you, serve you, and know you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, let's uh, go crazy. Uh, Celebrating people who come to Christ for the first time. And if you made that commitment, Tom Trousseau is back in the corner. He just has a Bible for you to get you on with your path. Otherwise, have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. First Steps with Chris right after this. We'd love to meet you.